Good morning. This is a week one in a brand new series, a five-week series that we're going to be diving into. Um, and for many of us, maybe we've heard this title before, Winning the War in Your Mind. Um, it's, this series is going to be somewhat loosely based off of this book. Um, and so uh, I, I have a few copies of the book that afterwards, um, you know, I, I want to give away a few copies, maybe one or two every, every week. And so... Uh, I had the opportunity to read this book with our teaching team. And so as as part of that, we just wanted to dive in to what that looks like and what that means. And so that's kind of where this this sermon series is based off of. It's an incredible read. If you want to read it, go for it. Um, But again, there is another e-book that we provide with it. It is a complete uh, kind of devotional for each and every week that you're not going to like, you have to get this e-book. It is, it is incredibly well done. You don't want to miss it. Make sure you download it um, ASAP. Um, and so this morning, though, I want, I want to begin with sharing. Uh, Court and I, my wife and I, love to do this thing called watch Netflix. Anybody else? <laughs> I know, right? Shocker. Um, especially when the boys go to bed. It's like the only time that we actually get to do this other thing called sit. Um, <laughs> and so... As we're sitting and watching Netflix, and on Netflix, it's not Spider-Man and his amazing friends. It is a shows that we decide to watch, right? Um, one of the shows that we decided to watch, it was about this, this young lady. Uh, she was roughly maybe like 21 to 25 years old. And it's a story, it's a true story um, about who she believed she was. Let me say that again. It's a story about who she believed she was. You see, she totally believed that she was a daughter of a rich, rich father. She deceived herself and everybody around her to believe that she was extremely rich. And so when she came over uh, from, she was from Europe, she came over and uh, She deceived all of her friends. She lived a luxurious lifestyle in L.A. She had the big house on the ocean. She had all the friends and the fun and the the crazy parties. And they're taking, like, weekend trips to Dubai. I've never been there. I've seen pictures of it. It looks great. But she's taking weekend trips to just go spend the weekend in Dubai and drive fancy cars. Because I guess that's what you do when you're this rich heiress that you're really not. And she had all of her friends deceived because she was deceived. She would go around and she'd buy the highest quality of everything. She never would wear an outfit twice. She never would wear a bathing suit twice that she would continue to just rack up all these debts, credit card after credit card after credit card after credit card. When one credit card was maxed out, she just opened another one so that she could continue on living this lie. And then there came the moment where they were in Dubai for a weekend and and her credit card would get declined and then her next one got declined and she then had to tell her friends I just haven't got my new car yet. Can you cover this weekend? She would deceive her friends to covering her luxurious lifestyle as well. And we're talking thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of swipe, swipe, deception, and lie after lie. 
But then there came the day where her lies were exposed. Then came the day where her friends discovered she's not really who she said she was. In reality, she's not this rich heiress, and rather, she is the daughter of a hardworking farmer. He, learned, he earns a, a good living, but not a living that would afford Lamborghinis and weekend trips to Dubai. She didn't come from money. But for her, she believed that she was this rich heiress. And over and over, as the lies started to crumble and the truth started to get exposed in the light, there came a moment where she got arrested for fraud and a whole bunch of other charges. And you would think at that moment that she would say, you're right, it's over, I'm exposed, I'm not rich. Instead, she opens up from jail another credit card to get Louis Vuitton dresses to wear to court. I wish I was joking, y'all. We like, we finished this like 12 episode season in like two nights. I know, great accomplishment for us. Um, it, it really was, it was good. But her, her false perception, her lies became her reality. Her false perception of who she was became her reality. Her false perception of I am a rich heiress, she truly bought into in her own mind, in her own reality, that I am actually a rich heiress. But she wasn't. What happens when the lies that we live get exposed to the light of truth? What about in our own lives? What happens when the, lie, the lies that we live get exposed to the light of God's truth. They shatter. Lies, lies that grow and fester in the darkness cannot grow and fester anymore when the light of truth hits them. It's impossible. They shatter. They have no choice but to cave under the truth and the pressure of being exposed. And if, if there's a moment for us where we can understand this even... There's, there's a lot of the time our lies start with thoughts. Thoughts of what I want or what I am or who I am. And then from there, they just continue to grow. A lot of times, the lies that we believe are lies from wounds that were inflicted in us and told to us at a young age. We're going to get to that. And I was curious if what would have happened for this young lady if somebody just would have asked her a simple question. Do you like the direction that your thoughts are taking you? Like, do you actually like the direction that your thoughts are taking you on? Do you like the path that you're beginning to walk? You see, what the devil can't destroy, he tries to distract. So what lies are distracting you and me today? What lies are distracting you and me today? What lies are distracting us and holding us captive? Because I think when we start to answer that question, there comes a moment that we have to first acknowledge that something is wrong and we have to deal with it. it maybe it's a lie that we've told ourselves. 
that we then just started to buy into. Maybe it's a false narrative that somebody else allowed, uh, we allowed to be told to us and we start to buy into. Or maybe it's just a story that our world has and our culture has told us that we ourselves now begin to believe. Whatever it might be, there's this, there's this moment for us where we have to ask these questions. In, in this book, in uh, Craig Rochelle's book, Winning the War in Your Mind, he says, to win the battle for our minds, we must engage. We must engage because there is no other way for us to defeat evil. And I love this last line. The days of being neutral must be over. The days of being neutral must be over. How long have we just sat being neutral? How long have we just allowed the thoughts to run our life and not engaged in them? How long have we just sat there and said, you know what? The lies, they're hard, they're tough, but I don't want to fight them. I don't want to, I don't want to create friction or tension because it's a lot easier to just stay in neutral. How long have we endured the fight? When we have the tools, when we have the ability to fight the fight and to conquer and overcome the lies, how long, though, have we just sat neutral and not engaged the fight because it's easier for us to sit back and be neutral? Craig would go on to say that you cannot defeat what you never define. Woo! That's like tweetable moment number one right there, right? You cannot defeat what you cannot define. So if we never define the lie, if I never expose the lie, I can never defeat the lie because I'm going to continue to let it fester and grow in the darkness. But when I define it, it gets exposed to the truth and then I can defeat it. It's very simple. It really is. So again, what lies are distracting you and holding you captive? See, we have to take our thoughts captive. Scripture-based, right? We have to take our thoughts captive. The lies that we believe, we have to take them captive, and then we can see a bigger life change happening. You have to identify the problem, ask questions about the problem, and then what is the lie that you are believing underneath the problem? For example, someone who is addicted to being seen as successful. Someone who is driven by the perception of, I need to come off as being successful. Okay? So what do I do? I, I overwork. I'll steal time from one thing to, to put more effort in my work. I'll steal time from my family to become more successful in my job. I'll steal time from this thing to, steal, to, to become more successful in my job. I'll sleep a little bit less so that I can work a little bit more. And by working a little bit more, people will think, wow, he's put in 65 hours. I've only put in 40. He must be much more successful than me. But then we have to ask the question, well, why do I feel the need to be seen and viewed as successful? Maybe because I have no worth outside of my job in people's view of me. <clears throat> to be seen as successful. I think it's something that a lot of American theology has bought into. 
But there's a deep lie that our perception of being seen as successful, it doesn't lie necessarily in anything I do. It lies in how you see me. And there's a deep lie under there. You see, the lies we believe often create an illusion of peace, but it's only temporary. And a lot of times these lies will manifest itself in in material ways also. For some people, it will be doing drugs or popping pills, but eventually the pills wear off, the drugs wear off, the high wears off. And then you're just waiting for the next hit. For other people, it's the alcohol doesn't do what it was was doing before, so I need to drink more and partake in it more to get that buzz finally. There's, there's also a good population in our world that, that the sex no longer is good in marriage, so I'm going to look elsewhere, whether that be in pornography or, or illicit affairs, or maybe, maybe it's time for us to explore open marriage in our marriage, because it's just not good anymore. Or there's also some of us that I don't get the proper adoration. I don't get the proper applause for being me and doing what I'm supposed to do. So I, I make my Instagram look much more great and luxurious than what it really is in my life. And, and if I don't have the right amount of likes, I just delete the post. All of these things, though, it comes to a place where we have to admit, through real strength, we have to admit That I can't do this on my own. I can't live a life that God has called me on my own. I need power greater than I possess myself. I I don't have what it takes on my own. That this lie, if I'm going to be honest with you, of you are enough is not true. But God is enough. And God in you will help you become who he has called you to be. Which is holy, by the way. And Paul talks about this. Paul relates Satan's greatest deception, Eve in the garden, Adam in the garden, to the same temptation that we face today. It's the same type of temptation. Philippians 4, this is what it says. Paul's writing this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Can we leave that up for a few minutes, please? Paul writes that we must do these things. He's laying it out very simply for us. Put these things into our minds, let them grow, and then it'll become a practice of yours as you participate in them. It's it's this same type of thing in Romans 12 too. let your mind be renewed. Be transformed, be renewed. And it it comes from a renewing, a a, a fresh coming with our minds. Meditation helps to renew your mind. It's what we are called to do. And when we choose to think about, focus on, and meditate in our life, what we choose to do with those things, it matters. If we think about things and meditate on them and focus on them, it matters. It's going to direct the way our lives start to move. So if I am focusing and and meditating and and keeping my eyes on God, my life is going to start to walk down that path. But if I'm only focusing and keeping my eyes on things of the world that really don't matter, guess where my life is going to lead? 
I don't even know, a few months ago, I, I said this, this phrase, you, you steer where you stare, mean you go where you look. What are we looking at? Where are we steering in our lives? You see, because in, in Philippians here, Paul is, is writing this letter from a, go, a cold, dark, probably moist Roman prison cell. Does that sound like a really great desk to write this on? No, it doesn't. And he teaches them this thing. Look at how he does this. Think about such things. It starts in your mind. Think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, it says put into what? Practice. Practice. Alan Iverson would not be good at this. We talk about practice. Yeah, we talk about practice. Put into practice. Put it into an action. Do these things. And then what will happen? The peace of God will be with you. God will be with you. He, he walks this right down the line. And this is, let's not forget, coming from Paul. Paul, a dude who had to literally radically transform his mind and his heart through the power of God, right? The, the perception, his reality of who Christ was in his life had to radically be renewed and changed. And then he puts it into practice. He starts living that out. Can you imagine being some of the first Christians at meeting Paul after his conversion? He's like, let me tell you about Jesus. They're like, whoa, I don't know if you're talking about the same Jesus I am because I know what you used to do to people who believe in Jesus. And Paul's like, I believe in him too. They're like, sounds like a trap. Sounds like a trap. He, he had to put this into practice though. And then what happened? The God of peace was with him. Writing these letters, God of peace is with him in a cold Roman prison cell. Paul is showing and modeling what this looks like in life. A radical renewing of our thoughts and knowledge leads to a radical life change in our living. A radical renewing leads to a radical life change. And when we take captive our thoughts and walk in this radical life change, our lives begin to reflect that. He would write the letter to uh, the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10. This is what it says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. I'm going to read that first thing uh, one more time. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The wars that the world wages are not the same ones that we are involved in right now. We are not involved in the same wars. We walk in temptation in the flesh, yes. But Paul is identifying here. This is what this whole book is about. Paul's identifying here that the biggest war that we are involved in is a spiritual war. It is a spiritual war. It's a war in our minds. It's a war in our spirits. It's a war in the divine powers. And many of us are either oblivious to the war, or maybe we even feel like it's a war not even worth engaging in. 
You want to know what happens when you don't engage in the war? You get bombed. Lives get lost. How do we know that? Maybe if you were a good student, unlike me, and you paid attention in your history classes, you would remember that in World War II, the U.S. delayed getting involved in the war. The war was over there. It's not going to have anything to do with us. We're good. We're just going to stay over here and everything's great. And then Pearl Harbor happens. The war no longer was over there. Lives were lost. People died. The U.S. maintained a neutral position until Pearl Harbor. And then we all know what happens after that. The U.S. storms the beaches of Normandy. The Germans had set about 4 million landmines, 4 million landmines to protect the beach from such an invasion. They rained down gunfire on our men. The sacrifices that day were enormous. Thousands of lives were lost, but the engagement was necessary because there is no other way to defeat the evil. If we don't engage with the war that we're involved in, there's going to come a day where we get bombed and it hurts. We have to acknowledge that our war, the war of thought, is not the war with the flesh. It's not with swords or spears that we fight, but rather we fight with knowledge and discernment. It's choosing to fight with the things that, are, that God gives us rather than what man will provide. And when as Paul writes this to the church in Corinth, we understand and we can understand that this is the same type of fight that they were fighting as well. You see, the church in Corinth, they, they, were, they were fighting this similar fight. They thought it was an external worldly fight, but there's a real spiritual fight going on. In the church in Corinth, instead of the belt of truth, they're fighting with manipulation. Instead of fighting with the breastplate of righteousness, they fought with the image of success. The shoes of the gospel, they, they fought with smooth words instead. Instead of the shield of faith, they, they fought with the perception of power. Instead of the helmet salvation, they fought with lording over authority. And instead of the sword of the spirit, they fought with just near human schemes and tactics. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have power to overcome strongholds. We have power to overcome strongholds <clears throat> or things in, and thoughts in our world that exalt itself over God. That's what a stronghold is. Something that exalts itself over God. The, the Greek word for strongholds literally translates to an impenetrable fortress. This would be almost like an image for us would be the bunker that political leaders are hidden in times of war. This is the, the, the moment in the White House where the war is breaking out and the president gets rushed down deep into somewhere in the earth's surface that nobody knows, but it's there to protect them. It's an impenetrable force. It's strong. And we often believe, though, that the lies in our mind, they're, they're impossible to overcome. But again, Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, take captive. It's this continuous action. Take captive. It's not this one and done thing. It's a continual action. Take captive. 
Repeated action over time, over and over and over again. Take captive, take captive, hold on to it, conquer it, take captive. Take captive the thoughts of lust. Take captive your thoughts of anger. Take captive your thoughts of fear. Take captive your thoughts of greed. Take captive the evil thoughts that are reigning in our lives. We have the power to do this. And here's the other kicker is not only do we have the power to do this, we have the power to also model it for others coming before or behind us as well as around us. For our children and our peers, we have the power to model this. I'll never forget sitting in a conference and we were asked this one question. This is what it is up on the screen here. Can you be who you needed when you were younger? Can you be who you needed when you were younger? I want to bring you back. I want you to think back to your childhood, maybe your teenage years, whatever it might be. A pivotal time in your life where you needed someone. You needed someone. You needed someone in your life to champion you. You needed someone in your life to pull you out of the broken rut you were living in. You needed someone in your life as you were searching and seeking and questioning. You need somebody to point you to the right answers. To give you a guiding hand. All the moments desiring more in life, but yet feeling like you were living a life just to get by. Can you be who you needed when you were younger? Can you be the one who lives truthfully and attacks the lies of the deceiver head on? Can you be the one who points to the ultimate answer? The one who willingly looks for the help of the helper and not go at it alone? I shared an example earlier about um, a lie to be seen as successful. That is a lie I have believed for so many years. I had this deep lie and wound that I was not loved or valued unless I perform well. Can you imagine living your life thinking that everything you do is a performance? I can tell you exactly how it feels. This stinks. I believe the deep lie that from a young age in sports, academics, and everything, that I was only as valuable and worthy and lovable as how good my performance was. You got an A minus, but it's not an A. You did really well in your baseball game, but you had an error. You ran or you swam that, that, that race, that 50-meter freestyle race really, really well, but you didn't beat your personal record. I was only as lovable and worthy and valuable as my performance. And that lie led me to live life very angry, very upset, disappointed, and feeling inferior in so many ways. Stronghold. That lie for me was a stronghold. I was elevating my performance in my life and how I was viewed, perception, over what God has told me I was, who I am and who I was in him. I valued this so much more than God. And I won't forget it, uh, sitting down with... um, 
counselor, therapist, whatever you want to call him. Um, and he helped me start to strip this lie down to the very core. I remember writing this down on the whiteboard and taking this picture of, of I am only as valuable and lovable as my greatest performance. Humbling moment. But once, once you become aware, you become responsible. I'm aware of the lie that was a stronghold over my life. So then I'm able to replace the lie that I believed with the truth of God. That's, what we're, that's the goal, right? Replace the lie with the truth of God. That my worth and love I receive from God, it's not conditional. Praise be to Jesus. Right? That I do not have to perform or earn his love. That he gives it to me freely because I am a deeply beloved child of the one true king. That I replace the lie with his truth. I walk in freedom, knowing who I am, whose I am, and what he has called me to be. There's no more stronghold holding on to me. Because when you bring the lie to the light, it has to shatter. It has no place to go anymore. So what lies have you and I, what lies have we been distracted by that are shaping us in our life? What lies have you been distracted by that right now are shaping you in your life. See, the girl in the show, she would go down still trying to live the lie in the courtroom, still trying to convince everybody, even when everything was, even when the truth is staring her right in the face. She is not a rich heiress. She was found guilty of multiple accounts of fraud. She'd serve time in jail. She would lose all of her friends. She was ruined by the lie that she believed. Why? Because she was distracted from all that was around her and all the good things that she really had. It's almost as if she, as if she and us kind of act like this dog. I think we have this video. So you can see this dog right here. He's sitting there, and there's, there's a nice treat sitting right there. And, and as the dog, he just wants the treat. He just wants to come inside. And he, he can't get inside. He's just waiting and waiting. Maybe the treat, if it gets a little closer, maybe then I can come inside. But here's the thing. He's believing a lie that the door was shut and it never was. <laughs> How many times are we just like that dog? Standing at the door when God has already opened it and he says, look at everything I've given to you and everything I have for you. But we're believing some lie in our life that we can't step through that doorway. And we, we're just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And there, there comes a moment where I think God walks over to the door and he's like, it's been open the whole time. You need me to show you that though? And he, he shows us again and again and again that we have access to everything he has given to us if we just walk through the doorway. If we just walk through. So do you like the direction your thoughts are taking you? Do you like the direction the distractions and the lies in your life are moving you? As we close today, as Josh comes up, um, The thoughts in our life, they're going to try and tell us that the door's shut, that you can't have access to it. The thoughts are going to distract us from what is right there in front of us. The thoughts, the lies that we believe, 
They're going to keep us from the goodness right here, right now that God has in store. And if we don't replace the lie with the truth of God, if we don't take captive the thoughts and replace it with God's truth, we're going to continually feel, continually feel frustrated and disappointed. But we can replace the lie of the world with the truth of God in our lives. We can replace the lie of the world with the truth of God in our lives. And you want to know how we do that? We have to be in the, the truth. We have to be in the truth. We have to actively participate in the truth and walk in the truth. We have to continually learn the truth and let the truth teach us and instruct us and live by the truth. If we want this to dictate and show us how to live our life, we have to open it, believe it or not, and read the words in it. And we have to ask God through his Holy Spirit to to illuminate the truth that he has in store for us and then walk in the truth. Even when it's countercultural, even when it doesn't make sense. And we have to go at it together. That's why these lunches are so, so exciting for me. Because we get to go at it together. I get to share experiences and struggles that I have with other believers and I get to know that I'm not in this alone. You get to sit with other believers and say, man, the lie I've been holding on to for some odd reason is this. And I have no doubt that the Spirit's going to move and walk with us in that and speak truth to many of us in that and say, you are enough. God calls you this. He calls you a beautiful masterpiece. His workmanship. Your value is not dictated based on how people see you. Your value is dictated based off of what he has called you and what he has said to you. I have no doubt that these opportunities, these lunches, are going to be life-giving for many of us. If we would allow it. If we will allow it. And I hope you join us in this. I really do. You don't want to miss them. Because there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. In one of the chapters, Craig writes this, and I remember reading it and highlighting it and circling it. And I think this illustrates what's at stake. In 10 years, we will look in the mirror in 10 years and somebody will stare back at us and that person will be shaped by the thoughts of today the life we have is a reflection of what we are thinking about I hope when I look in the mirror in 10 years the person staring back at me is someone who tried their very best to live in line with the truth so that they're Sons and daughter would do the same. I hope that my legacy is that my boys and I'd be the same person here up front on the stage as I am at home. I hope my boys are proud of me one day.
for leading well and trying to do my best. And ultimately, I hope God looks at me and says, I'm so thankful that you took me up on challenging and walking with me. Because I'm going to look at him and be like, dude, it was hard. You could have made it a little simpler and a little easier probably. But man, is it rewarding. Think of the blessing after blessing and the things that God has done. And God will do. When we just walk in truth with him. We can replace the lie of our world with the truth of God. So what are we believing? What are we believing? Father, as we come to you today, as we just stand here, sit here, wherever we might be, we just, we come to you knowing that we are broken people living broken lives. But we also come to you knowing that you are a God who can and will heal any and all things. And so, Lord, through the power of you and your spirit, I ask that right now that you would just go before us. For those of us that are entrapped in a stronghold right now, Lord, that you would help us to, one, identify the stronghold, identify the lie, and then, two, replace that lie with your truth. So as you bring that lie to the light, Lord, would you whisper the truth to us as well? Would you bring us to your word, to your truth, to, to you? So that we can truly understand, truly believe and walk in what you have called us to believe and walk in today. God, we love you. We give you, we give you so much thanks for what you have done and what you are doing. And Lord, we ask that you would go before us in this next few weeks. That during this series, Lord, that you would stir stuff up in our lives, that we would, we would have no choice but to walk in it, to face it head on. That you would give us the right tools, the right words, the right discernment, the right scriptures, the right truth to fight these lies that we are facing head on. And would you remind us, Lord, even when it feels hard, even when we're knocked down and we're bloodied up and we're bruised and we're beaten, would you remind us that you win in the end? And that we win too when we are in you. So God, we give you all the glory, all the praise. And we praise in your name. Amen.